and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we're recording for Contrarian's Corner for The Bone Collector. The movie, not the TV show. It's a book also, right? Damn it. You're right. Well, when was the last time we covered the book <laughs> on the main feed, Alex? Yeah, that's only things that we're guest stars for. Um, the multiverse. Anyway, hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Welcome to 2023. At the time of recording, it is January 4th. Wrestle Kingdom has wrapped up. Um, New Year's resolutions have likely already been broken by millions, <laughs> if not billions, across the world. Uh, I, see, I don't I don't make one. That's because I know I can't hold to it. I just try to be a better person every year, no matter what form that comes in. That's a uh, very wholesome resolution. <laughs> well, and it's also not specific, so I don't feel like an asshole when I like, you know, uh, no ketchup for a year or some shit like that. Uh, we're here today to kick off a series that spawned from one of our 2022 activities. And I guess before we actually get to that, we should get the formalities out of the way. I'm Alex. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host Julio. Julio, you put this together. This is stemming from the live stream for The Cure that we've been fortunate enough to be a part of annually. Uh, and we're starting a, I guess, kind of mini series of sorts to pay back those that donated. Yes. We're starting that with 1999's Bone Collector. Uh, but just in case that uh, any new listeners or if any of our returning listeners kind of forgot uh, what we're doing uh, and what we can expect to follow this, why don't you give us a quick uh, recap? Yes, this is uh, previously on The Contrarians. How did we get here? Well, if you remember, and if not, you know, this is a, actually an episode on our Patreon, or maybe it's on our YouTube channel. Somewhere you can find our performance on last year's Livestream for the Cure, which was a little different from what we've done in previous years. We just uh, focused on four specific actors and actresses. We did Denzel Washington, Robert De Niro, Kate Winslet, and Cameron Diaz. And those were our tiers. The more money we raised, the more we committed to uh, when it came to episodes. So I think Denzel was tier number one. I don't remember what the the amount of money was, what the goal was. But uh, basically, we said, if we reach this much money in donations, we'll do the Bone Collector on our show. We were smart enough not to set a date. We just said, we'll do it before the next live stream. Uh I want to say Cameron Diaz was level number two, and we also met that. And that's why our next episode is going to be on being John Malkovich, which is a Cameron Diaz movie. She plays a big part there. Uh, Kate Winslet was next, tier number three, although she will always be tier number one in my heart. 
and for her, we also met that goal, and we're going to do Labor Day, a really weird romance movie featuring her and James Rowland, directed by the man behind Juno and Up in the Air. Is it uh, Jason Reitman? Yes, Jason Reitman of the Reitmans. Uh, and finally, of course, the, the top tier, tier number four, and we all submitted it because our our segment of the live stream for the cure last year was was a pretty big success, I want to say. Uh, and yeah. that was Robert De Niro tier. And of course, we're doing good fellas. So that's what you have to look forward to uh, in the near future. And of course, we're still going to be doing the bonus episodes from patrons in between those. But uh, here we are at the beginning of the, the what would you call this? Are we paying off our live stream debt? Are we fulfilling our live stream promises? We usually have some like quippy name to come along with these. With this, it's just kind of like I would say it's like you know uh, our Mount Rushmore series, but with all due respect <laughs> to Cameron Diaz, I don't quite view her in the same stratosphere as the other three. Uh, so I guess this only is because just she retired, a, Alex. If she hadn't retired from acting, maybe. Yeah, I guess you know, and you're talking to someone that spent an hour lecturing you on how great the first Charlie's Angels is, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess just uh, paying it back to the the live stream audience that supported us, and not just us, obviously, but the live stream for the cure in and of itself. I don't know. Hopefully, by the next episode, we'll have some kind of name for it. But I like the Rushmore idea. Maybe it's not the Mount. Maybe it's the Mound with a D at the end. Mount <laughs> or, Rushmore. <laughs> or Mount Rushmore with an asterisk at the end of it. And then... <laughs> And like parentheses, Cameron Diaz pending or something like that. <laughs> We're still processing uh, Cameron Diaz's application. <laughs> yeah, the, it's not been approved yet. So we're starting today, as I mentioned, with 1999's The Bone Collector, directed by Philip Noyce, based on The Bone Collector by Jeffrey Deaver, starring Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie. Julio, you're substantially older than I am. Uh <laughs> remind me of Angelina Jolie's place in pop culture at this point. This was Girl Interrupted was also 99, right? Yes. I cannot believe they're the same year. That's crazy. I thought this was much earlier in her career. She was established by now then. Because, I mean, by the time she got her Oscar, she already, you know, she already being in Gia and uh, playing with Fire. I think that's the name of her ensemble movie. Hackers. She was in Hackers. Of course, Hackers. Okay, so ready she to have your not, mind. She was not Tomb Raider. Uh, she was not Lara Croft yet. No, 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 no. That was until like 01 or 02 maybe. Uh, the real kicker is that uh, Girl Interrupted came out after this. So this is her last movie as a non-Oscar winner. Well, That's I guess right. technically. They came out about six weeks apart, so there you go. She also hadn't done Original Sin, so... Ooh. Can't predict what she's doing. That was a that was a big one for a fifteen year old Alex. Uh, it looks like hackers, um, yeah, pushing ten, playing by the heart. Yeah, I don't see anything that was big, big at this point. Gia, of course, was nineteen ninety eight. Which would that, in your mind, be kind of like her coming out party? Yes, even though I've okay. yet to watch that movie. But I heard about it, and that's where, like, whenever when I finally discovered Angelina Jolie, everybody went, "Well, yeah, she's the actress from Gia," and I that's when I'm like, "What? Who's Gia?" <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know. You know, that's a made-for-TV movie, also. 
No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was. You uh, can't tell on those like old uh, internet photos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm fairly positive it was a made for HBO original. I, if I'm wrong, I do apologize. Uh, but Angelina Jolie. All right, we got our femme fatale here, and then. This uh, young plucky upstart Denzel Washington is also in this. Denzel who, Washington said, "I've been working a lot. I just want to lie down for a while." I, I'm literally going to lay down on the job in this one. Um, uh, let's see. He won his Oscar for best supporting. I guess that's kind of appropriate. Best supporting actor and actresses here uh, for Glory, of course. Back in was that 1990? I think that movie came out in '89, but that was. Obviously, Denzel's big breakout and then went on a fucking tear. Malcolm X, Philadelphia, Crimson Tide. And uh, what was he making? He had made coming into this the year before Fallen. He got game and the siege. He became America's sweetheart. Really did. Like a hell of an actor in, in 99. He made The Bone Collector. And then The Hurricane also came out that same year. And in 2000, he would make Remember the Titans. In 2001, he would make Training Day. So quite the uh, couple of years back to back to back for one Denzel Washington. The Bone Collector is just another on the many steps in the ladder of uh, you cannot pigeonhole me. That's just Denzel looking at the industry and saying, I dare you to make me a stereotype. (laughs) For example, my parents, neither one of them had more than an eighth grade education. Never read more than one book between them, not one. I've read thousands. I've written a dozen. What's your point? My point is that destiny is what you make it. This movie's insane, dude. Like the cast. I Okay, so first question. Had you seen it prior to watching it for this episode? Nope. I knew of it. I, I knew it was the movie that where Denzel is just in a bed, the entire movie, and... uh Angelina Jolie was, I guess, his eyes and ears. That's what I thought the movie was about. I did not know that it was <laughs> they were surrounded by an all-star cast. Yeah, that was the biggest thing for me. So amidst the very, very MTV opening credits of this, very like turn of the millennium type credits of, you know, really stylized font and color on the credits over the backdrop of like newspaper clippings and shit. I, it just kept the hits kept coming, man. You had <laughs> Queen Latifah, sadly not getting the and credit. I think she was third build. Uh, Michael Rooker, Luis Guzman, Contrarian's legend, uh, Leland Orser, who's also shown up here a couple times before, yeah. and then uh, Jay Pritchett got the and credit. Ed O'Neill, Philip Noyce at the helm of this, uh, having also directed coming into this. And uh, in, in recent memory coming into this would have been uh, Patriot Games with Harrison Ford, uh, Sliver. So you know he's someone that we've discussed. In That's the past. why his name sounded familiar. So he's already part of the Contrarians family, and via live stream for the Cure. So yep. it ties it all together. Man, now now I have a different because I was just thinking I'm gonna compare this. You know, in my mind I'm comparing this to. The, the, what you would expect, shit like Rear Window or whatever. But now that you know this is from the man behind Sliver, well, I got to judge it a little more harshly. A Clear and Present Danger, starring Harrison Ford and The Saint with Val Kilmer leading Ooh. into The Bone Collector. Years after the fact, he would make uh, 
catch a fire. And uh, this one kind of blew my mind. I guess Angelina Jolie felt a certain debt to him because uh, he directed <laughs> Salt. Do you remember Salt? Yes. <laughs> It's a very bad movie. I I never saw it. I was just like, why is Angela Jolie's face in the poster for a movie that's named after a condiment? Oh, you haven't seen it. So that, that's like Lee Schreiber. Uh, well, another, yet another movie where Lee Schreiber steals the show. Uh, he eventually becomes one, yes. Oh. <laughs> I forgot. And you also had Chewie in there, Chewetel F4. All right. Let's get into the Bone Collector. But before we do, if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you're a returning listener, we love you all the same. Give us just a moment here while we explain what it is we do. On The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie that is highly rated on the old RT. And what we'll do is we'll take that movie and we'll discuss it and talk about uh, you know, it's high rating and maybe why it's not deserving of that. Uh, talk about maybe some overrated acting, uh, kind of um, nonsensical storytelling tropes or ideas that don't really go anywhere. Poor soundtrack, score, poor direction, whatever it takes to kind of cut that movie down to size. And conversely, we'll find films that are rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. We typically shoot for about 30% and below, one of those nasty green splotches. And as you could probably deduce infer guess at this point we'll take those movies and build them up talk about the elements of them that weren't properly celebrated be it acting bold storytelling choices score stage design props costumes whatever it takes all in an effort to number one say that uh this shit is wildly subjective you can be as over the moon about something as you want to be or if you set your mind to it you could be as cynical about something as you want to be but also that that Rotten Tomato system is a little bit flawed, and they're not too eager to kind of explain exactly how their system works uh, to the general public, who unfortunately will take a rating from time to time and interpret it in kind of an incorrect way. Uh, that comprises our first half, or part one, of the episodes we do here on The Contrarians, what we call Contrarians Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the film du jour, the movie that we're discussing, they just have to uh, tune in for the second half. That's correct. Part two of every episode is aptly titled Real Talk. This is where we forget about the tomato meter score and we just give you our true feelings. How did we experience this movie? In this case, because we're both watching it for the first time, we don't really know much about how the other one uh, felt while watching The Bone Collector other than we texted a couple of times about how hot Angelina Jolie was. That's it. <laughs> no idea what's 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 to come once we, we stop playing with the gimmick. But first, before we go there, like Alex said, we're going to do Contrarian's Quarter. We're, this movie's rotten, so we're going to say really nice things about it. And then once we get to Real Talk, you'll find out if we were being truthful or not. Or maybe somewhere in between. It is rotten. It is right on our precipice here at 28%. So that means critics were harsh on this. They weren't particularly impressed or uh, pleased by Philip Noyce's direction of both Angelina Jolie and Denzel Washington. Julio, based on your digging into the Rotten Tomato page for this uh, film, what uh, critical quotes were you able to find? Let's start with uh, Stephanie Zacharek. These are all rotten quotes. Stephanie Zacharek from Salon.com, who says, The Bone Collector is another one of those unpleasant serial killer movies. Uh, As opposed to what, Stephanie? The pleasant (laughs) serial killer movies? It's meant to be unpleasant. Have you ever watched a serial killer movie that made you feel warm and cuddly? 
Uh, Devil's Rejects, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, but that's that's because <laughs> Rob Zombie is a, a very particular kind of talent. Uh, <laughs> next, Brent Simon from Entertainment Today says, A desperate send-up of authentic evil. A true crime tabloid zine thriller packaged with all the subtlety and restraint of children's toothpaste. I feel like his quote kind of went off the rails at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's that's insane. He was really going for it on that one. I've never heard anything compared to children's toothpaste, <laughs> much less a movie. Uh, and finally, Lawrence Topman from the Charlotte Observer says, if you want to watch a wheelchair-bound man solve a murder, rent Rear Window. I, I mentioned Rear Window just a little bit ago because... Yeah, I watched Rear Window a couple months ago, so it's in my mind. And then I see Denzel doing it, doing something that's very similar, but doing it so much better. Uh, I think that we only bring up Rear Window to Hitchcock's detriment, not to Philip Noises. We have your interest yet, officer? I want you to work the case with us. It's not my area. Are you being modest or are you... A little uneasy about doing some real police work. All right. So as we do from time to time here on The Contrarians, we'll enlist the services of our good friends at Wikipedia here for a little bit of uh, scene setting, plot summation. And uh, we find ourselves here with the Bone Collector in 1998, New York City. A quadriplegic forensic expert, Lincoln Rhyme, is bedbound after an accident that left him completely paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, Amelia Don, Is it Donaghy? She corrects people throughout the entire movie, and it still didn't make an impression. <laughs> Donahue? I think it's Donahue. Okay. It's not like Jack Donaghy. It's not, this wasn't in canon with 30 Rock. <laughs> it could be. I mean, this is 98. Amelia Angelina Jolie. She's a newly recruited patrol officer, discovers a mutilated corpse buried at a Civil War era railroad bed. Due to the clue-like objects found at the crime scene, Rhyme concludes that the scene was staged and subsequently teams with the initially hesitant Amelia, impressed by her natural forensic instincts. So I already mentioned the credits were like the first thing that caught my eye is like a, a timestamp that puts us where we are. And um, we, our first victims that we see are by way of a cab driver who picks up a couple at the airport and... I guess they're exhausted from their flight. So they fall asleep in the cab ride and they wake up and they have no idea where they fucking are, where this guy's taking them. Have you ever fallen asleep in a cab? Because I can't Mm, imagine doing that, but I I grew up in Peru. So, I mean, that's unwise to say the least. No, no. And uh, even with all the Ubers I've taken, I think I've like kind of nodded off, but then I'll catch myself and wake up. Even like as shit faced as I've been in some Ubers and cabs, it's like my, you know, fight or flight instinct takes over. It's like, Oh God, asleep, where am I? <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I'm going to wake up at, that type of thing. Um, the one thing, the guy was banging on the window when they couldn't figure out where they were. He said, we're not tourists, man. It's like, <laughs> I ha- I remember when I was younger, having seen my dad kind of get into it with the cab driver that was kind of trying to take us for a ride uh, as far as like charging per bag and uh, trying to take like a long way to the airport and shit like that. With Uber, you know, they can't really do that now because you see the route they take. But uh, the 90s were a different time, you know? No ways, no uh, Google Maps. <laughs> a lot more killers out there. Alex, but you're wrong. The first victim is Denzel, or at least Denzel's mobility. Well, not from our serial killer here that we're dealing with, but yeah, you're right. 
the movie starts with like one of those fucking crazy dreams that plays tricks with the audience because we it's basically how he ended up getting paralyzed but he's uh climbing under rubble to rescue like a a, a worker and when he gets there it's actually him and then he wakes up and we see he's a paraplegic uh quadriplegic excuse me so i know you like me probably knew that this was the movie where denzel is paralyzed but did you expect the movie to start with him already paralyzed because i didn't <laughs> i thought act one was gonna be him you know getting hurt well not only that but like he's already paralyzed and our introduction to him like in real time not just like a dream our introduction to him in reality is him arranging with a a doctor friend of his to be euthanized. Philip Noyce, not fucking around. He said, we're not wasting talk about any stuff. time. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is, I mean, I'm glad with the movie we got. I, I had a good time, but this was the movie that I really wanted to watch. Once that happened, when Zenzel brought it up to his friend and his friend said, well, okay, I'll do it, but I need to, I need to get out of town. I'll be back on Sunday and then we'll, We'll figure it out. I wanted to watch that movie because Queen Latifah was in the room and she was paying attention and she seemed like she was disapproving. And I'm like, this would make for a great play. Just like a, a three-hander between Latifah, Denzel Washington, and this guy that was lucky enough to play the, the doctor friend. Uh, but no, we got something else. We, you know, it's Hollywood. So you have to you got to go with something that sells a little more to the masses. Well, and also, you know, you got to think about the idea now is that he learns how valuable life is, that type of thing. Well, he can still learn that. On my play, he would learn it through the power of conversation. <laughs> but you know what wouldn't happen in your play? We wouldn't get to see Bobby Cannavale. Dude, how does he do it? <laughs> he was, uh, who is homegirl that you were raving about getting billing and uh, Ken? What was her name? Carrie Coon. Yeah, so that's Bobby Cannavale in this. He has one fucking scene and he gets an opening credit. But, it's, but what a scene, too, because he's he is a guy that is actually not satisfied with just having sex with Angelina Jolie. <laughs> what, what a loser. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I want more. I want a family. Uh, that's cool. I was actually kind of sad that he didn't come back uh, at any point. Because, yeah, you're right. They they played they played with us. They put him on the opening credits like he was going to be a recurring character. I was like, man, make him the killer. I don't care. Just give me more kind of alley. And also, like, in all honesty, it kind of spun the the big trope from the 90s of like the guy that wouldn't settle down or the guy that wouldn't commit we just learned right away that angelina jolie our female lead has commitment issues and he's just kind of like they almost to a certain extent emasculate bobby cannavale because he's like borderline begging her to stay but she's just like i'm married to the streets gotta get back to work (laughs) yep (laughs) it's awesome because the the opening the first shot we see of angelina jolie she is kind of looking out the window the sun is coming up, the, the golden light is hitting her, and she's looking all melancholy. And you think there's you think that she's thinking about a guy. She looks like she's heartbroken or she's conflicted about that. But then the whole scene with kind of Ali happens, and you realize that no, she was just thinking about work. She just couldn't wait for him to get out of her apartment so she could just get back to to serving the community. So we mentioned, you know, that she finds this body. It's like the most stereotypical New York cop shit you can think of. She's down there in her uniform with her partner and they're getting a hot dog and she handles a call. It's around the block and it's a little boy that found a body under the gravel. And she has some forensic skills, takes some pictures, saves evidence, thinks that things are important. And that's kind of what 
tips off Denzel. The connection with Denzel is he was a former cop and this kind of, you know, fucking czar for crime scenes and whatnot. So they bring all the information to him and uh, they don't care that all this stress could kill him. Ed O'Neill is like, but we need to find the, the guy that's murdering people. And he's impressed with like the evidence she saved and whatnot, so he has to work with her directly. Now, the is he the chief? I'm trying to remember his position. Like, Kind of the bad guy who's not the serial killer in this is uh, he's the captain, not the chief, excuse me. Michael Rooker, who plays uh, Howard Chaney, who Denzel disparagingly calls Howie on several occasions. But he's like, I need to know everything. This cop doesn't know what she's doing, that type of thing. And uh, it's clear to Ed O'Neill and his boys, uh, Detective Paulie's Paulie's Celito, Celito, Celito. It's just tremendous. So he he enlists the services of Denzel Lincoln Rhyme. Uh, Rooker's not about this and. He thinks Angelina Jolie did a terrible job and Lincoln calls in Amelia for assistance. So they basically set up the, you know, what would be at your, in your NYPD blue or any cop dramas of the time. It would be down at the station. They set that up in uh, Lincoln's apartment, all the evidence, the dry erase boards, you know, all the shit that you see to try to just kind of put these clues together. A little uh, table in the corner so that uh, Queen Latifah can do her puzzles uninterrupted without getting in the way. And if you think we've had we haven't had enough character actors yet, this is where we get Luis Guzman. He's like the, you know, the chemicals and uh, uh, he's like the science side of it. He he tests you know all the different uh, materials that are on the items they recover and that type of shit. Eddie Ortiz. The hell is Eddie Ortiz? I'm right here. Qué pasa, papo? Qué pasa, Eddie? Hey, how the world's most crankiest criminal is doing? He's also the comic relief, which oh, is yeah, great. He's got a, He's got an attitude and, you know, he's, they're in New York City, but he's got the fucking Cubs hat on. So he he he's an outsider, but uh, he obviously, you know, he's kind of I half expected Denzel to see him and say, you son of a bitch, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> uh, he makes Denzel smile like no one else can, or at least not during the first half of the movie. Uh, now, rounding up the team, Alex, and I knew you weren't going to call him out because you you probably you don't think anything of this guy. You don't know him from anything. Uh but since I am very well versed in Edward Burns' filmography, I can tell you that Ed O'Neill's assistant, his his trainee, whatever you know, the young guy that goes with him, uh, it's uh, Mike McGlone, and he's a uh, he's a staple of Ed Burns' movies. I uh, this is the first time I've seen him in a movie that's not directed by Ed Burns, and I geeked out more than I geeked out for anybody else in the cast. It's <laughs> like Mike McGlone, really, and I. You know, he has more screen time than Caravalli. <laughs> more screen time than uh, that Urser. Uh, it, it was pretty cool. I, did you like him? I, I thought that he did a lot with a character that, let's be honest, was not necessary. <laughs> yeah, he. I, I was not familiar with who he was, but he definitely was going for it. And early, like, uh, he knew this was the first episode of the year, and he saw that Embry in his possible <laughs> future. So he was really going for it. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because... I guess it's just a matter of setting up the expectations and then playing with us. You would think that he is going to be a love interest for Angelina Jolie, right? She's going to find it because he's young. They seem to be about the same age. And uh, 
they have some a couple of scenes where it's just the two of them, and at first they look a little antagonistic, but then you can see that he's learning to respect her, and so you think maybe she's going to find in him what she couldn't find in Bobby Cannavale, uh, but that's not what happens. So then you would think, oh, then he's gonna be the bad guy. That's why he's there because he's gonna be the bad guy. But no, that doesn't happen either. He's just there. He's just there to be with Ed O'Neill. So Ed O'Neill is not by himself, which is <laughs> it's a commendable thing anyway. So the clues left behind at the first crime scene lead Denzel and the gang to figure out that the wife's still alive. And this killer here, the I guess the bone collector, is kind of sending him on a – it's like a search. It's almost like a puzzle. It's, they're letting, he's letting him know that, uh, you know, I still have this victim, but uh, she's going to die unless you find him at this time. Because, you know, the, the evidence he leaves behind or the clues, I should say, have like a time marker on it. And uh, – Honestly, one of my notes says like, and I said this on Twitter, this, there are elements of this that feel like where Saw came from. Does that make sense to you at all? Because of the puzzle nature and because of how gruesome it can be, right? That, yeah. And obviously Denzel's not the killer, but the whole idea too of like someone attached to what's going on is, you know, terminally ill, that type of thing. Uh not terminally ill, but he's worried, you know, that he could die or become vegetative from his current condition. It just feels like some of these parts were kind of rearranged to construct the first outline of Saw. Yeah, uh, honestly, my main thought was when when I when I figured okay, so this is gonna be one of those where they have to figure out the clues. I I thought, man, it's a shame, and this is the only time I guess I will say this, but it's a shame that Alex hasn't seen the Batman because it's literally the same thing, you know. It's Oof. like the Riddler. Puts, you know, these but riddles together. But this is half together. as long, right? <laughs> well, this is half as long, and it's twice as good. Maybe three <laughs> times as good, even. Because these these puzzles are actually difficult to, to solve. And they really, they're very elaborate, very complex. They they take a whole team of people working together to, to arrive at a, at a solution. And even then, when they arrive at a solution, they're usually too late. <laughs> you know, the, the, the bone collector is always a step ahead of him. And... And the Batman is just, it's really simple shit. And Batman has access to a supercomputer and Alfred. And really, the cops are just standing around there doing nothing. So it's just, the experience is so much better here. Um, you know, you have Denzel kind of as the head of the investigation. But he's he's taking input from everybody. And I, I think that that makes it uh, a better, it, it makes it a better story. By the way, my, my first note about Queen Latifah is uh, it's Dr. Latifah now. <laughs> <laughs> she's like the nurse she's the the live-in nurse but she has opinions oh she does she's very <laughs> very quick to share them as well uh, but like i mentioned due to the clues we find out this first couple we see abducted that the wife's still alive and uh, they go down they f- think they figure it out based on you know the evidence or just kind of the you know what he wanted them to see and leave behind the puzzle pieces and they go down she's underground in the sewers uh, amongst some steam pipes and steam lines and unfortunately they're a bit too late as um, I guess the steam lets out at 4pm every day and it ends up I guess kind of just burning her to death it's not pretty when we when Angelina Jolie discovers her body well wouldn't you and, agree though that it's even more horrifying because we don't see her get burned we just find her after but but we hear oh, yeah. her when the, when the steam lets out we hear her her cries you know, for help in that. I think that that's more effective than if we had actually seen, I think that's the difference with Saul. Like Saul would have shown you 
this woman Everything. getting hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot better the way that Philip Noyes did it here, where you get to see the the faces of the cops as they hear her die on the other side of the wall. That's more disturbing. Yeah, it's way more impactful. And you know, via telephone, Lincoln instructs Amelia to go in. He starts telling her how to deconstruct the crime scene, what evidence they need, that type of thing. And it gets to the point where he tells her that she's going to have to uh, sever or like use a saw to cut off the the woman's hands uh, for evidence. But she, you know, refuses to do so and storms out and says, "If he wants him so bad, he can come down here himself." Uh, He's got a shitty thing to say to someone that can't move. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, they they're definitely uh, what's a good example of like a man and a woman that are kind of combative just off the off the jump. Um, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story. <laughs> but this is a good movie, so <laughs> Denzel can't even punch the wall. Uh during like the climax of the steam shooting out, the manhole lids getting blown off and whatnot, there's a really good shot of Federal Hall for all of our Metal Gear Solid 2 fans. <laughs> That's the final battle in the games where Raiden and Solidus fight is on top of Federal Hall. So every time I see that, it's uh immediately what I think of because I'm a fucking nerd. Now Lincoln begins doing some research into the backstory of Amelia to figure out, you know, why she's so tepid, why she just kind of wants to be a beat cop, you know, just kind of arrest shoplifters and that type of shit. We come to find out that her dad was a cop also who committed suicide via his firearm and she found him. So uh, this, you know, is a, this is 98, Alex. Is he creeping on what? Her MySpace? Or is that too early even? He's a cop, dude. He's got access to, you know, <laughs> when you're a little kid and they say your permanent record, he has access to permanent records. He just said computer and hands. And he just. Sadly, we don't get any more into the thing of her being a model because we find out at a very brief moment in the film that she was like a fucking, you know, model in Chili's menus and shit like that for a period of time. Yeah, Mike McGlone. He starts nooping around her house while she's changing or something. She's putting her shoes on and he starts. What is it with cops and snooping? I mean, come on. It's almost like it's their job. Uh, (laughs) Like Angelita go, do you have a warrant? Like. Queen Latifah knows what's up. She won't let you snoop unless you have a warrant. So he finds this out and, you know, eventually confronts her with it. And uh, what's your take on this? You know, I, it's, I was about it, to ask you, Alex, let's talk about Denzel. Is he an asshole? Is, he, is Angelina right when she accuses him of uh, using his disability to get away with, with abusing people verbally, psychologically? Hey, man, bullying works. Listen to our uh, Whiplash episode. God, we're so in sync, Alex. That's what my note says. (laughs) (laughs) There's Whiplash before Whiplash. He's, you know, he's pushing her to the limit. You don't want to work with youths. You want to be a forensic detective. And I'm going to make you cry before we actually become friends. Why do you want to throw it all away to chase youth offenders? Well, I don't feel I have any need to explain that to you. Come on, Amelia. Cop to cop. Cop to cop. Let's just leave it at personal reasons. Okay. I don't have anything to do with your father, then. I knew you were going to land on the side of, oh, yeah, that's right. Tough love is what she needed. <laughs> well, you know, he he knows that she has a lot of skill and he wants to push and uh, get the best out of her. So he kind of pushes it, uh, you know, to a bit of an extreme because he confronts her with the whole idea of her 
father having killed himself and whatnot, and she's, you know, how dare you type of thing. But but is he getting off on it? I mean, that's the thing. Is he doing it just out of a noble, well, we need more good cops, or is he getting, you know, some satisfaction of the fact that, yeah, I can't move, but I can still make people have these all these emotions. He does have like a shitty grin, like just kind of like the corner of his mouth is a little bit curled the whole time. So I think he's deriving a little bit of pleasure from it. But that also could be from like the most righteous, like fucking gigantic cup of juice I've ever seen in my life. The entire movie, <laughs> like next to his head with a big, you know, 12 inch straw so he can access it. There's just this huge glass of what appears to be like maybe fruit punch or cranberry juice. It, it looked very refreshing. So maybe that's why he's happy the whole movie. <laughs> Who's refilling that cup? Because I don't see Queen Latifah doing it. Do you think that's what Leland Urser was doing on his visits? Oh, the, well, Leland Urser, Richard Thompson, is uh, he's like his tech. He's there to make sure all of his equipment and machinery is working correctly. No, that's like the when Denzel wakes up, he asks for vodka, and Queen Latifah insists that he has juice. Oh, so that's right. I guess right, she's just yeah. constantly re replenishing his juice supply i just don't see queen latifah you know getting drinks for anyone she'd be like you get it yourself do you have a warrant for that drink (laughs) uh one of the bone collector's other victims we see is tied up and you know an abandoned area not quite sure where he is and the bone collector just kind of cuts areas of him open, and we see these rats end up feasting on him. Because uh, rat hair is one of the things that was left behind at one of the crime scenes. But Julio, we do get, and I, I assume, you know, w- with your modern taste in movies, you really, I don't want to say appreciated this, but it made you appreciate what we have more. Because there is a shot of, like, the CG rat that, like, jumps at us. <laughs> and it, it does look kind of silly. And I, my first thought was... <laughs> Julio is probably going to use this to prove how far we've come by looking at this. I mean, it's true. But also, I don't know. I mean, I think rats look silly no matter what, even when you see them. Yeah. What is the alternative, Alex? I mean, did you want somebody to use an actual rat on this poor guy? I mean, why not? Because, because you know, the animatronic rats would just look like they would take you out of the movie. This is supposed to be a, a serious thriller. Rizzo and his pals from Muppets <laughs> Take Manhattan. Yes. <laughs> Tonight we feast. <laughs> so these rats fucking eat this dude to death it's metal as fuck and uh eventually angelina jolie and the crew find him and uh, she's, she's over it though she's she's full on denzel jr now well and what happens here like she fires her weapon so rooker like takes her off the case it's not for the for firing the weapon it's uh i mean <laughs> she could have given him a warning She's the only one in the scene. Everybody else is is waiting outside. And uh, Al Bundy is like, I have a bad feeling about this. And then she shoots at one of the rats and kills it, actually, uh, just to make them scatter. But, of course, to the cops that are outside, they're like, holy shit, it's a gunshot. And everybody rushes in. Uh, but no, Rooker just has something up his ass. I mean, he, I think it's just because they kept him out of the loop, right? The, the first time he goes to visit Denzel Washington, um, at his house, he tells him, hey, I'm letting you have all this, but keep me in the loop. Just keep me updated. And then as soon as he leaves, uh, Ed O'Neill looks at, at Denzel and goes like, what about this guy? He's like, oh, fuck him. <laughs> We're not going to tell him anything. So I think that Rooker just had enough of being kept in the dark. But then he also like falls directly for what Jigsaw is trying to do here, where he... He gets one thumbprint. He's like, we got the guy. And then they go to get him and that guy's dead. It's just a dead end. So Rooker is obviously, you know, that 
we don't get that enough anymore in movies. The the cop, you know, the captain or the chief that thinks he knows everything, but is like missing all the things that are right in front of him. <laughs> Did you think, because at some point, I don't remember if it already happened here, but at some point somebody floats the idea that the killer may be a cop. I don't remember what is it, which clue points toward that, but they say they might be a cop. And then I realized, okay, so now everybody's a suspect. And I didn't really think that it would be Rooker because that would be too obvious because <laughs> he was such an asshole from the beginning. But Well, and that's like how it's framed towards the end of the movie is that it's Rooker that's the bad guy. And then it's, so that's kind of like the big twist when you, I mean, jumping ahead and spoiler, when he gets killed, that's right. like, what? <laughs> but okay, so did you think at any point, did you consider that Rooker might have been the, for whatever reason, the mastermind behind it all? Yes. Like you said, you and I, just through this podcast alone, I've watched a shit ton of movies, so I've seen movies before, so he felt like a red herring, but there were were parts where I was like, oh man, the bad guy from Guardians of the Galaxy is killing people. <laughs> it's a lot harder to read Rooker when he has hair. I think that I'm just I'm just so used to him being bold that the, the hair throws me off, and now I don't know if he's being sincere or not. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Angelina Jolie, uh, Amelia goes back to Lincoln's apartment to visit with him. And Julio, am, am I too much of a hopeless romantic or does it seem at oh, this no. point in the movie like they're falling for each other? <laughs> Absolutely. I I, I mean, at, at the end, it confirms it that the final shot or the next to final shot of the movie is them holding hands. <laughs> so I think that it goes beyond friendship. I mean, I think it's platonic, but I, mean, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> I guess if if Bobby Cannavale is not doing it for you, maybe then Zelda's. Either way, man, I'm watching that porn. Angelina <laughs> Jolie and Bobby Cannavale or Angelina Jolie and Denzel. That's like great A action right there. It's uh, Angelina just massaging his ears, Denzel's ears, <laughs> while he smokes a joint. <laughs> um, no, they, they were totally I, – I was surprised that they went there. Uh and honestly, if I had remembered that Philip Noyce was the the mind behind Sliver, I would have gotten even more excited because I'm like, okay, well, we're gonna what's gonna happen now? But no, they just uh, what is it? She's she's trying to have him smell a piece of paper. That's the latest clue. And That's then she it. she drops it on his chest, and then she's trying to to pick it up, and now he's looking at her neck. <laughs> I guess <laughs> it's a uh, it's surprisingly erotic from that we eventually get back to our killer and you know the ominous taxi driver that picks up uh at, th- at this point it's a dad and a daughter at the airport uh gets pulled over by a cop um because his cab isn't properly marked and also he doesn't have the meter running so the cop pulls him over for legitimate reasons uh but has no idea you know what this guy could be this guy pulls him in and shoots him in the chest kills this cop and then speeds away with his dad and daughter in his car it's a horrifying scene it was like the one scene of the movie was like, oh, shit, because it, ha- you know, it escalates so quickly. It also, well, because it's a child now that's the potential victim. That that really kicks it up a notch uh, because I think that the movie has proven that it has no qualms about showing you how gruesome the, the aftermath of each murder is. And I'm like, I don't want to see this little girl's corpse <laughs> In about 10, 15 minutes when Angelina Jolie once again arrives too late to the scene of the crime. That's how you play with your audience. 
through some sleuthing though and also the help of queen latifah they figure out where this evidence is coming from it's from an old publishing company and it's a series of books that were you know not noirs but more of just kind of like uh crime dramas that type of thing so angelina jolie goes to the bookstore and we get another kind of loose not loose end red herring the the guy who works at the bookstore <laughs> seems like he could be the killer it's like oh what's going on here the uh, camera is like one inch from his nose but she finds a book called the bone collector and at this point if Julio and i had watched this together i would have nudged him and said it's the chainsaw <laughs> <laughs> and she begins summing through it and finding the different murders in the book or depict you know what's happened so far so she figures out what the next one's going to be with the uh the father and daughter and you know we smash cut to a real helicopter flying over you know and i don't know if that's the uh, Brooklyn Bridge or the George Washington Bridge, but it's definitely a scene that was set up for this. The $50 million budget, I assume a big part of it went to the scene here. And they got it in one shot. Philip Noyce <laughs> was like, stakes for everyone today. We only have one take. That's real acid, people. And- <laughs> um, before you get to this, though, did you expect Queen Latifah is puzzling to pay off to be part of the main story? Come on, Thelma, you're the queen of puzzles. What do you see? I'm looking. Because really, she's the one that figures out what... Because they're looking at these three pieces of paper and can't figure out how they fit together. And then Denzel Washington actually says, hey, you're you're good with puzzles. Give it a shot. And then she figures out that it's the logo of the publishing company. Were you expecting her to be... You know, because I thought she's just going to be the person that's helping Denzel stay healthy. I didn't think that she was going to play an active role in solving the mystery um you know i hadn't thought about it too much but that's so turn of the millennium character trope so it it fits perfectly in this movie if they're in the background they will have a role to play later on uh i honestly i think that once again i will say i like the movie we got but uh maybe it's because we see denzel and queen latifah together before we see denzel and angela jolie together but I felt from the very beginning that we didn't need the Angela Jolie character. I, I was ready for the the mystery to be solved by Denzel and Queen Latifah. You know what I mean? Like this cop that is paralyzed and the nurse that takes care of him. They're the ones that are start looking at the clues and take care of business. Uh, that's fine. You know, you had to add Angela Jolie, rising star Angela Jolie. But um, you could have just said Queen Latifah can carry that half of the movie. Wow. Twist that big one around. Doesn't that kind of look like a face? Your mouth, nose, eye. So Amelia, like we said, figures out what's going to happen next. And uh, they get to the crime scene. It looks to be that they're going to save the day. They rescue the uh, child and its father. And unfortunately, they're too late for the father. But the child does make it. And this somehow leads Angelina Jolie into the mouth of the beast. She finds like you know, where the killer has been, it, you know, it's jigsaw shack type thing where <laughs> everything's been being put together and Denzel's guiding her. And it, it almost feels at this point, she's on the hunt and at any moment we're going to come across our killer. But you know, the killer, in this is a bit too smart for that. Uh, did you have any, any ideas as to how, who the killer was at this point? Were you still hung up on Rooker? Yeah. Or- at this point I thought it was going to be Rooker. And then for like a, a small second, I was like, wait a minute, is it going to be Denzel? But that, that was about <laughs> it. That, that classic nineties twist where he just gets up from the bed. Yes. The, 
Kaiser Soze. <laughs> Queen Latifah drops her her Jamba Juice forty four ounces in <laughs> slow motion. She drops her puzzle like it falls <laughs> off the off the table. <laughs> so Angelina Jolie, Amelia does not come across our killer, but we start to see the pieces falling into place. Uh, and what we think is Michael Rooker going back to Denzel's apartment with the warrant. And he was there all right. Uh, it's just not him that knocked on the door as Queen Latifah answers the door and then gets fucking stabbed. I did not see Queen Latifah dying coming because that never fucking happens, dude. This is this is how it was before she got the end credit. <laughs> Anything. She was as vulnerable as everybody else. Um, that's how you know that, that that this guy means business. He kills Queen Latifah. She falls to the floor right next to Rooker, who's also just dead there. And now, Alex, before we get the the reveal of who that person is, did you figure it out? Where you're like, it could be Ed O'Neill. When they reveal the killer, I just I literally my note says LOL and has four exclamation points. <laughs> uh, Julio, mine says ex- LOL. Of course. <laughs> explain. Explain to our listeners who's the killer and why. Okay, I think that in order to understand why it's so like perfect in a way, you have to be familiar with Leland Urser. Like, if you're not, if you don't know who Leland Urser was or is, then this is gonna be like, oh, okay, well, they just took like a random guy that was in two scenes earlier in the movie, but uh, especially in the '90s. I mean, this is after Seven, right? Because Seven is '96. Uh, seven is 95 brother 95 and then seven private ryan is what 99 yes so before seven private ryan and but very after bad things is 1998 very which bad Leland things Orser is also in i always go to seven because seven is just like he has one scene in seven and it's it's just the extract of leland urser's personality it's right there you know he's just he's the guy that was forced by by the killer to wear this uh knife dildo and have sex with a prostitute and killer. A horrifying thing. And and Leland Nurser sells it because he's telling the cops about what he did. And he's just like hyperventilating and sweating. And he's just a mess. And every time I see Leland Nurser in a movie, uh, that's what I think of. And I'm like, yeah, he's playing a variation of that. He's really good at playing this manic, disturbed character, right? And he's, he's the same in Saving Private Ryan. Uh He's in uh, Alien Resurrection, which we cover in the Summer of Winona. Uh, That's you know, right. He's he's the guy that has he knows he has an alien inside of him, <laughs> and so he shows up here to be. Is this the closest we'll ever get to having a Leland Urser Oscar clip? I think so. <laughs> it's just he he comes in to give us like a a story of you know why he holds so many grievances against uh, Denzel Washington why he why he put this whole movie in motion so he could get revenge on him and uh it's amazing i mean i was just like i can't think once it's revealed i couldn't think of any other actor that could play it he goes you know you hear all the time 0 to 60 and that's literally what happens he's just very unassuming and kind of you know perfunctory in this up until this point it's just like oh god he's the killer cuz michael rucker's dead uh, Queen Latifah's dead, you know, the countless bodies we've encountered along the way. Uh, Julio, I would just kind of read here from our friends at Wikipedia, but I want you to explain the motive of one Leland Urser here, uh, Richard Thompson. Okay. Also, Alex, did you notice that this is actually foreshadowed in the opening credits? Uh, 
the the the, the incident that set all this off because apparently Denzel Washington who through the oh, entire shit, movie no I didn't get that yeah, yeah yeah through the entire movie Denzel has been reminding us how awesome he used to be he was like I've written a lot of books I've read even more of him and I guess one of his side gigs was uh, writing opinions on trials or evidence or whatever so he wrote some sort of essay and an opinion on evidence that kind of exposed that Leland Urser, uh, who I guess used to be a cop, right? Used to be a scientist. He used to be something, but he had been tampering with evidence in order to get people convicted. And uh, Denzel's analysis exposed him and made him he was not a, only, a former huh? forensic expert. Yeah, there you go. So what he wants Angelina to be. Um, but anyway, he he ruined Leland Urser's life because he basically exposed that he had been tampering with evidence. Not only did Urser lose his job, he went to prison where, in his own words, he was used as a human toilet. <laughs> and, and he <laughs> vowed to – trust me, you haven't like really experienced somebody saying that they've been used as a human toilet until you see Leland Urser really put put his own spin on those words and that that monologue uh, but then when he finally came out he decided that he was going to ruin uh, Denzel Washington's life and honestly I was surprised they did not reveal that Leland Urser had been the guy pushing the 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 boulder whatever it is that crushed uh Denzel Washington's spine at the beginning of the movie <laughs> I thought they were gonna reveal that he had done that but no I guess he that was just uh, a stroke of luck uh, but then he just he's been manipulating everything when when because this is intercut with Angelina Jolie having these uh, I guess we see inside her mind as she's putting everything together and she figures out that Denzel is gonna be the next victim so she races to the apartment and uh, yeah you see you know like all the corpses they had uh, he had taken the skin and the meat I guess off the finger and that relates to Denzel because Denzel can only move one finger. <laughs> So that was one of the big clues. And then there was a number that Very was in the final jigsawian. puzzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a number on the final puzzle that is Denzel's uh, batch number, which Angelina had seen. Yes, that's on, how she figures it out. Yeah. yeah. It's actually pretty clever. Like when you see her connecting the dots, it's like they didn't cheat. And oh, and I was telling you in the, in the opening credits, there is a, a shot of a newspaper headline about uh, evidence tampering being exposed and there's a photo of Denzel I thought that that was him being involved in evidence tampering you know when it, it was the opening credit so I didn't know what the movie was going to be about uh, and then I didn't think about it again until Lita Nurser brought it up uh, but yeah this man and Denzel the entire time he's like he's like Thanos when uh, he sees the when he sees the Scarlet Witch in Endgame he's like I don't know who you are <laughs> Leland Urser is ranting and raving for like 10 minutes straight. Do you know what happens to a cop in jail? Do you? Every day. And then, and then, <laughs> things get physical. Well, before they get physical, he starts asking him what kind of vegetable he wants to be. That's true. If he wants to be like a <laughs> carrot or zucchini. But then, yeah, Denzel, who can only move his fucking like, head, he crushes Leland Urser's hand. It's awesome because he, you know, uh, basically through his the controls that he does have releases the locks on the bed. And it just smashes down on this dude's hand. And then Leland Orser, like the dickhead that he is, yanks this quadriplegic off the bed and onto the floor. And Denzel still, you know, putting up a fight, bites this dude in the fucking neck and won't <laughs> let go. It's very metal. You don't need a gun when you have those teeth. Um, 
Do you think that the movie would have been better if Angelina shows up a little sooner to shoot Leonard, sir? Do you think that it was a little too ridiculous that it got to that point? <laughs> Um, uh that's so that would be the movie made today but you know in the age of like 90s so the scene would be five to seven minutes longer by modern standards because she would show up and then there would be like this struggle and dude 90s had it right and i understand we were fucking seven weeks away from going into the new millennium here but (laughs) it it had it right you know there's the tussle the bad guy gets the upper hand the bad guy's about to win the good guy's friend saves the day the movie's over i'm it it cannot be any more simple do you think the 2023 version has queen latifah survive uh absolutely she because <laughs> it looks like she like laid the groundwork for that hayden panettiere deal in scream 4 where she couldn't die on screen <laughs> she just kind of got stabbed and was like oh no queen latifah will return in <laughs> the bone collector 2 I think the fact that she's not at the Christmas party at the end heavily implies that she did not make it. You're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> she was too busy, uh, I don't know, making Denzel's juice in the kitchen. She couldn't be out there for the photo op. <laughs> so Leland Orser is dead. And the movie ends as any good movie would. And the fact that it was released in November makes a lot more sense now. Uh, it's Christmas and everyone's happy. And Denzel decided to live. He's we dressed see up. He is. He's in a wheelchair and he's going to try to start moving around in that. And, uh, you know, one of those motorized ones that he can control. And Angelina Jolie is wearing a really pretty dress. And she called in his sister from Phoenix that he hadn't seen. in you know, X amount of time and without telling it's, him, it's just Christmas, man. It's perfect. <laughs> He learned the true meaning of Christmas. And you know what? Almost almost without us noticing, this movie turned out to be about two minorities triumphing over white men. Not just Leon Nurser, but also Michael Rooker. Like, <laughs> they were like the whitest of white men, just doing white man shit all over. And uh, uh, a woman and a black man that couldn't move. They prevailed. And uh, the only thing that was missing here from the conclusion was that it didn't end with Denzel saying, Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> he said it with his eyes. The way that he looks at Angelina Jolie. That's fair. He, she squeezes his hand, Alex. There's no other way of reading that. Well, then give me the sequel. Like the quirky <laughs> summer rom-com where you know they're together now, but uh, I mean, all the loose ends are tied up, and then we go home. The red light's on, uh, and just as quickly it fades, because that's how you fucking make a movie. <laughs> Not even two hours. That's how you do it. It came in just at the line, but, you know, it, it, there's a lot of suspense and action in this. You got you to gotta drag it out just to the right. There is that fucking sweet spot, and this movie gets that. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Good job, Philip Noyce. Once again, you've impressed the contrarians. You son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, all right, Alex, are you ready for real talk? I am. Let's let's move this party on to the the next chapter, the the next train stop, or whatever the fuck how they navigate through the crime scenes <laughs> in this. Excuse me. Excuse me. I think you're going the wrong way. Excuse me. 
Foster is taking us for a ride. We're in the middle of nowhere. Hey, uh, where the hell are you going? I said Fifth Avenue. Hey, we're not tourists here, man. Hey, where are you going? <laughs> 